Pornography isn't simply a social or cultural problem. It is ultimately a spiritual problem, rooted in the vices and struggles of human nature wounded by original sin. Join us today as we discuss how Catholic moral theology can deepen our understanding of the problem of pornography and help us combat it with our special guest, Dr. Reinhard Huder, Professor of Systematic and Philosophical Theology at Duke Divinity School. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. Today we're going to be talking about the scourge of pornography. Um, your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And I'm joined here by a regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, again here at Franciscan University. And uh, Dr. Reinhard Hutter is our special guest today. Uh, you have a Master's uh, in Theology from uh, Duke University, and you have a, a Doctorate in Theology from the University of Erlangen in Germany. Is that correct? Um, you teach systematic and philosophical theology at Duke Divinity School. You're the author of, of over four books, co-editor of six books. You have many, many honors in, in academia, uh, including uh, appointments and fellowships at the University of Chicago, uh, Princeton, uh, in uh, university in Germany, as well at uh, Providence College. So welcome to the program. It Thank is you. Great to have you here. Uh, so we, we, we are talking about pornography. And um, first, let's start off with why does the Catholic Church oppose pornography so vehemently? It does damage to human beings. Uh, it is a great moral evil. Um, and it does, uh, uh, it is actually a, a sin. Um, it falls in the two categories. It's uh, in the order of justice. It does damage to human beings. It's an act of injustice. It does, uh, it's an act of injustice uh, to oneself, mm. to um, the actors, um, and to the public, because one supports um, a public vice. It is a sin in the order of charity, mm. um, because it betrays ultimately our friendship with God and uh, our uh, relationship uh, to those to whom we are committed and again those uh, who are performing um, um, on the screen because they are human beings, they have human dignity um, as persons, and that is uh, betrayed uh, in, the, in the order of charity. Yeah, so I mean, because people often say, oh, well, it's a victimless crime or things of that nature. Really, there are so many people who are hurt that you just elucidated. That it's not. Individuals, it's, it's a public, it's yeah. a, it, it is something that happens in the public. We think it's private, right. yeah. but that's wrong. Yeah. It happens in the public. Uh, it is a huge uh, uh, economy. Yeah. Billions of dollars are being earned. People are being exploited. We have studies, psychological studies, about the, the psychological harm being done to the actors. Mm what it actually does to the people who watch regularly um, and the wider harm that is done by uh, making it 
so to speak, a usual part of society, something uh, one doesn't think about. There are, there are studies, medical studies on that. Um, one can be become aware of. Uh, so even from a secular standpoint, there, there, there's so much damage uh, that comes both individually but also to our society. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's unbelievable. You know, to call it an injustice, I think, might be hard for many people in our society to hear because they reduce justice to criminal law. Mm. And since it's been de decriminalized for the most part, you know, to think of it as an injustice, you know, when we're not even sure that we have souls, you know. And so this sort of thing has to be emphasized because it is a grave injustice uh, for the person and for everybody else. Uh, it's a scourge, it's a plague. And I think you are really onto something because it's not just widely recognized, it goes widely undiagnosed in terms of the depth of the damage that it does to persons. There, there's a, a great puzzle here, uh, I think, that we need to try and uh, unravel because on the one hand, everything you say makes perfect sense. It's eminently reasonable, uh, both at the level of nature, human experience, and certainly at the level of grace, the relationship to God. And yet, in the teeth of, of that obvious truth, the levels of resistance are massive and widespread. I mean, people are not only skeptical of the claims you've just made, but they scoff at them. They don't see anything toxic in pornography. It's morally innocuous. So why should we get exercised about it? They just don't buy this business. The gravity of it. Yeah, they don't see it. So, I mean, this could be where the division uh, lies uh, between people uh, on the planet. Those who uh, oppose pornography and others who are entirely hospitable to it. Mm. That wedge is driven right down the middle. What can we do about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that we will talk about <laughs> later, what we can do about it. I think we're not there yet. I think yeah. we first need to realize uh, the fundamental issues to what it points to. Uh, it points to, to issues that have been talked about already and that we live in the middle when we separate sexuality from procreation. Um, when sec human sexuality itself becomes condomized, when it becomes privatized, when it becomes a commodity itself, it leads to the commodification of human beings. And we live in the middle of that. And a lot of people on this planet uh, don't mind about that either, um, that people are being commodified economically, sexually, psychologically. They become means for our ends. That's right. And that is where the church sees the injustice coming in because justice is giving everybody his or her proper due. Right. And the right. dignity of the human being stands at the very center of what we are called to give, right. yeah. to acknowledge the dignity. And that is at the center of justice. And if we do not do that, we are becoming unjust. And, and simply understanding uh, certain things as neutral in, uh, and thereby separating them, estranging them from the dignity of the person right. has an effect on people themselves. They are being debased. Right. And in the middle of our society presently, and it's just a global phenomenon, people are being pervasively debased. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about the dignity of the human person. I mean, uh, and, and you mentioned chastity. Uh, so, so how, how does the virtue of chastity uh, protect that dignity of the human person? Because even a secular uh, mind would say, yeah, that we need to respect the dignity of the human person. Uh, but there are many who don't realize the gravity that pornography has. But maybe if we understand what chastity does, the virtue of chastity, and how it protects uh, human dignity. 
Well, that's a very hard virtue to understand if you focus on the secular mind. Mm. Uh, that's about uh, the last virtue anyone wants to think about. It right. will be scoffed <laughs> as, as uh, uh, chastity is, uh, is maybe seen as unhealthy, right. as repressing something right. uh, uh, in us. It is uh, a call to inauthenticity. Yeah. Um, uh, well, that precisely already uh, reflects a certain self-estrangement and self-debasement when we think yeah. about ourselves that way right. and about others. Chastity is first of all um, a proper self-respect and the respect of every other person and the dignity of every other person in the order of sexuality. Um, our sexual desires are never neutral. Um, our sexual desires uh, must be integrated in human life, in our own life, in our own history, mm. in our own existence, in a proper way, in a way that is rightly ordered, so that we can always respect ourselves and respect others as persons in our interrelationships. And the inability of that leads to a lot of the problems that we are wrestling with in our society, not just pornography, but the insecurity of relationships with each other, yeah. uh, the feeling of being exploited in relationships, the feeling of becoming a means for someone else's ends right. of pleasure or whatever you call it, or power. All of this comes back to the neglect of the virtue of chastity. Mm. Um, if we have uh, a purity of heart, um, um, uh, other persons uh, realize that, that in in a fundamental order in which we are related to each other, and that is as sexual beings, uh, because we bring forth human beings. Right. They come from us, yeah. and uh, so, so uh, the sexual drive is a deep drive um, and has its own proper orderedness and justification. But in order to, to live that rightly and not turn others into means, yeah requires chastity, requires the virtue of chastity. Um, a cer certain possession of oneself and recognizing others as persons and allow them and enable them to possess themselves as proper persons and agents. Right. So that's, that's chastity as you Yeah, I, I think I this, this line of inquiry is really helpful. I, I think all too often we get distracted and we zero in on the evil of pornography yeah. right. uh, as such, and it is evil. But Pornography is symptomatic of something else, something greater, a loss of a sense of the self, a sense of the other, a crisis of, of the human person. You, you, you spoke earlier about the connection between sex and life and that pornography sunders that, but it also sunders the connection between sex and love. That's right. Uh, you know, divorces love from sex. It's just about me, it's about pleasure, this immediate gratification. The other becomes an encumbrance, a means uh, whom I objectify, uh, and in doing that, I dehumanize that person. I think to focus on that, the person, the exalted status of the human person, and then you can see, yes, pornography is really an affront to that, a frontal assault yes. upon my dignity. Yeah. Well, also, also the dignity of the other, because in, in every Im image, in every image yeah. that we look at as an image, uh, we look at a, a person might look at a body, uh, at a thing, but as yeah. soon as we ask, what is the name of that person? Yeah. What is her history? Yeah. Uh, what are her sorrows? Yeah. Uh, what has brought her to the point that she has to do that? Right. Yes. Um, 
what might her parents think when they see images yeah. of that kind? Yeah, she what is somebody's child. Yeah, yeah she's somebody's, somebody's child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for that matter, not only she, also he, we also have, right. of course, all of male performers, but only when these questions were to arise are we entering the order of the person. And then, of course, our conscience becomes activated. Right. Our conscience becomes active because suddenly we, we are realizing, well, wait a moment. Right. Because we wouldn't behave like that when we accidentally enter a room right. of a person who is in the process of undressing or changing clothes. We would be, I'm so sorry, we, we, we leave the room and we, right. we should have knocked first or whatever. Right. Um, and so precisely by uh, using the images, we, we, we in a certain sense rip dignity and identity and aspect away and, right. and, and uh, make that the object, of course it's a fantasy object, it's not a real object for satisfying right. a desire, there's a lie behind it. And that is why, um, we might talk about that later, but why um, pornography in the end um, is, a, uh, is a cold vice. Mm. It yeah. is, it is right. a cold vice, it, it, uh, it is like a drink that only creates more thirst, it can never yeah. satisfy. Right. Because there's a deep estrangement involved in it, yes. um, and, and so it cannot ever give what might be sought after, what yeah. might be Yeah, because you don't have love, you don't have no. unity of you person. Know, the the levels of yeah. lies yeah. that are being told, that are being imbibed, you know. I agree with Regis. I really do think that this approach to things is a much better way than just simply the immorality or the illegality of it. To see that it blinds us to the beauty of other persons, but it also is a profound self-estrangement. Yes. And I, and I, and yes. I think the beauty of oneself and the capacity that we have that's lost to give ourselves to other people. You know, uh, the lies, the counterfeit, you know, it really is a, an apt analogy to say that you're slaking your thirst with salt water when in mm -hmm. fact you're burning up within and expediting a death. Uh, and I, I think if we look at to see how we're blinded from a beauty that we long for, that this is the sort of public discourse that will awaken more than just curiosity or openness. I think it's going to strike a nerve. I think it's going to strike a chord that resonates deeply within people who are still not too jaded, who are really in search of the truth, of beauty, of, yeah. of true love. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if the other person is more than simply the sum total of his or her parts, then you have to respect that whole, that ensemble, that mosaic. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't engage in any sort of reductionism. Yeah. I mean, Chesterton mm -hmm. has that great line, the only sin is to call green grass gray. It's a lie. And you're speaking a lie about the other person That's when right. you reduce him or her to the body right. and, and say, here it is. Here's the person on which I feed my libido and my lust. Right. And, and that's, that's dishonest. I mean, besides being unjust, it's a lie, a calculated uh, lie. If we look at pornography, um, is it at its core um, a societal, cultural, or is it a spiritual problem? Well, all three, <laughs> fundamentally a spiritual yes. problem in the, in the recipient, in the consumer. Um, there, there might be other problems that bring actors to, to the place, yes. yeah. uh, also spiritual problems, but in the consumer it is, it is a fundamentally a spiritual problem. Um, the church fathers and the scholastics used the word uh, achedia. Yes. Um, we might translate it as sloth, mm. spiritual sadness spiritual apathy. Yeah. Um, it is often um, 
a despair or um, a despairing about actually being being able to move forward uh, in a, in a in a in a life of uh, of virtue, yeah. in a life towards spiritual truth, uh, in friendship with God. Some people uh, just feel this is. This is not for me. I can't reach that, anyways. I right, cannot. Right. Uh, I might not even be worthy of it. But in the, in the core, there's a deep. It, it, the root is a deep sadness uh, and a certain turning away from searching for the truth about oneself, um, about the implications of one's own dignity. Yes. Yeah. Um, I want to. I want to pick up on this on the next segment. Uh, stay with us on Franciscan University presents. The night before the infamous serial killer Ted Bundy was executed, he granted an interview in which he stated that he was raised in a loving Christian home, but his early exposure to pornography, he said, led him to an addiction, and that addiction led him to commit the crimes for which he was executed. And he said that people's most dangerous impulses are being fueled day in and day out by the kind of sexualized violence that they see in pornography. The lesson from this is that as a society, we're naive to condemn a Ted Bundy when we're continuing to allow access to the very material that creates other Ted Bundys. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to uh, bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. We've been talking about the, uh, the scourge of pornography here with Dr. Reinhard Huter. Um, I cut you off in the last segment uh, as we talked about the, the sadness uh, of soul that comes uh, from this. So, so if you could just continue on with that thought of, of, of where, where pornography is at its core a spiritual problem and the vices that really come from it. You, you talked about uh, Achadia, is that correct? Uh, yeah, uh, the Church Fathers knew a lot about that. Uh, long before the, the emergence of, of internet pornography, they, they knew what happens to us when we enter that space, that bad space of spiritual sadness. Mm. Um, that is open to all people. Christians can be tempted by that, can fall into that, but in a post-Christian culture it becomes pervasive because we are all called to communion with God. Right. We all have a supernatural end, as the church would call it. And so um, not pursuing that end, not uh, turning away from it, uh, causes sadness. Mm. And uh, uh, Gregory the Great, uh, in his uh, uh, spiritual theology, um, identified uh, a couple other vices that grow out of that sadness. And um, there's despair, there is sluggishness in relationship to God's commandments that pertains to Christians, yeah. especially. But there is also the wandering of the mind. Hmm. Uh, the wandering of the mind, we become restless. Our mind, our mind wanders, it looks for something. It wants to fill itself with something. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, contemporary vice uh, is related to that. People don't think it's a vice. Um, it's called curiosity, curiositas. Yeah. Yeah. The Looking curiosity for that killed the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
looking, but but not looking for things that that in in a in a in a, in a way that uh, not looking for things that we are really interested in and we want to really engage in and relate to and grow. That is something else. Right. Curiosity has, uh, curiosity is a is a is a superficial picking here or there just to feel the restlessness of the mind. Yeah, you, you called it even in some places the boredom, you know, that, that there well, is. Well, boredom is related to that. The, uh, uh, curiosity does, curiosity wants to overcome boredom. Right. Right. We are bored. bored. Boredom and the wandering of the mind uh, are two sides of the same coin. Okay. Okay. It's a lack of focus, you know. Once we lose sight of the supernatural end for which we were made, and apart from which we have no happiness, then we despair of the of the of the effort that's needed yeah. to even you know become naturally virtuous yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something I think that is you know abstract and yet at the same side, at the same time so important that you know Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added." You know, the idea is that we need to seek first that supernatural end, and not be content with just the natural fulfillment that comes. Yeah. And you know, the irony is that we even need supernatural grace to attain these natural virtues, especially in a culture such as ours, you know. I, I look around and I can't help but remember uh, what it was like to go down to Biloxi and uh, Mississippi and Louisiana after uh, Katrina. Uh, it was just a few weeks after this massive flood, you know, and you could just see on the faces of people who were bordering on despair. They, you know, they just wanted to leave. They just couldn't imagine how to clean up the mess, you know. But the waters had receded, you know, so they were beginning to recognize there is a future, you know. And I think apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, you do have a kind of paralysis. Mm. You know, you have an understandable surrender to despair, but the idea that we have friendship with God and purity of heart is possible and the cleansing of mercy. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, 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 but at the yeah. same time, I don't want to go through this segment any further without, you know, the light of hope that gives us that yeah. sense. Right. Well, right. we're told in the scriptures, uh, be still and know that I am your God. Uh, and and T.S. Eliot gives us a variation of that uh, uh, in one of his poems. Uh, Teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to sit still, even among these rocks, the rocks of the postmodern world. Mm. Uh, Guardini, uh, in that wonderful book of his, uh, where he catalogs various virtues, underscores the virtue of recollection. Mm. And he reminds us that it, it really is central to the Christian life, and yet people do not cultivate it. People have scarcely heard of it, but it requires that you focus, you center yourself. You, you enter into the sanctuary of your soul and you don't give in to vain curiosity. Your mind is not flitting from one object to the next, but rather it's riveted upon that which abides, who of course is, is God. Keeper right, right. comments that the opposite of curiositas is studiositas. Yeah. You know, that yeah. studiosity that is not just an academic habit, yeah. but it really is a capacity of the mind to focus on the truth that we need the most. So when we look at this, this kind of vice of, of sloth, um, why is it so common in our culture today? I don't know if you have an insight into it. It just seems like it's, it's, it's more pervasive. Uh, I don't know if it's more common today or why do you think it's at least uh, common in our culture today? People are very lonely and they engage in practices that disperse their attention. They are not allowed to recollect. They are prevented from recollection. Yeah. Watching TV, yeah. watching TV, 
um, using cell phones regularly, having access to the internet immediately, being constantly reachable by cell phones, yeah. um, constantly uh, uh, mm. uh, causes and brings about uh, a, a dispersion, a distraction. Yeah. Um, and it, it also makes, it, it dissatisfies people uh, because they become restless from that also and they look for, and then they look for other distractions, but they often cannot leave places, they cannot leave office spaces. Um, in which they are constantly, so to speak, drawn yeah. apart. Right, right. And that happens all the time, and then they come home, uh, and homes are, of course, uh, uh, less so homes than they were because people have to commute, everyone works. And so there are, there are deep layers and contexts of estrangement from each other and from themselves. And yeah. people look for something, people right. look for intimacy, they look for, con they look for forms of consolation. Right. They have desires that are not in a deep sense fulfilled, also their sexual desires are not in a deep sense fulfilled because they are estranged in a contraceptive society yes, yes. from a deep fulfillment. And so, uh, and so there is a deep unrest and, uh, and, uh, and the searching and the images are available. Yes. And, uh, and uh, of course we are embodied human beings. It is not accidental that we look, uh, as uh, in pornographic images, people look at other human beings. People look rarely at the images of cockroaches or spiders. Right. Uh, <laughs> so it's not accidental um, that yeah. this is happening. It reflects an, a deep aspect of our human embodied nature. Right. Yeah. Right. But it is so, um, it, it is so in, in a profound sense, spiritually, Disordered. It right. reflects the disorder, uh, uh, deeply spiritually disordered society in which we live, yeah, right. and the deep unhappiness um, that that people have. And deeper than unhappiness is this despair of sloth, that there isn't even anything to turn to that is worth my sacrifice of a full attention, of recollection, yeah. of moving forward, of the effort of moving toward a truth towards something that enlarges me, towards something that might fulfill me and actually might right. give me happiness in a deep sense, in right. the deepest sense. Yeah. If yeah. that were if that be, were to become tangible as a promise, well, why would I waste my time on, on all these things if reality might be waiting for me? Right. If yeah. reality yeah. is knocking at the door and I be, might be drawn into a real adventure, yes. into real life, yeah. into a real relationship, yeah. into a real love, capital L, right, right. that might embrace my whole life and go even beyond my uh, life on this earth, well, s things open up, there might be no time anymore for cell phones and internet. Right. I mean, right. I life might start. That's right, life might start. But that is not what so many people That's not the common, for, particularly for youth today, bombarded both with the virtual world that they live in, yeah. let alone that same technology is actually delivering images that make it so much more, what may start as a curiosity, a, a, a legitimate curiosity in the beginning that leads to, to a whole habit and pattern of vice. Well, the, the situation yeah. you describe is omnipresent. There yeah. doesn't appear to be much escape from it. You're describing people that we keep bumping into all the time, including ourselves. Right. Mm. I mean, I, I think it was Bernard Lonergan who said, look, when a dog hasn't got anything to do, it'll take a nap. But man will ask questions. But more and more he's not. He's turning to his cell phone. Yes. Because it gives him an immediate painless stimulation, which only, of course, uh, quickens his sadness because it's never enough. That's and right. he's looking for more. And there's never more until he turns to God. You know, there's a divide here, though, because, you know, for some people, mm -hmm. it's a weakness. You know, for all of us, we're prone to it. 
For others, it's a hardening where people not only have given up, but they would resist to the point of resenting efforts to kind of, you know, take these things away. Yeah. You know, this is the process of judgment and hardening that Paul describes, I think, in the second half of Romans 1, where God gives people up to the very things they desire because they're other than what he longs for, but he respects our freedom. You know, but I think we have to recognize we have this weakness and we always will and we have to seek the remedies. But in the process of seeking the remedies, we also have to confront the people who are often in public authority yeah. who are going to resist this. And even within our own, our own families or institutions that surround us, that people are going to take umbrage at the thought that you would in any way think of depriving us or questioning the value of these sorts of you know, the internet, pornography, the freedom that we have, and so on. And I think that's what's bewildering. I think people find themselves fighting it on the one hand, and yet fighting up against people, you know, who are in, intransigent. Yeah. That's yeah. a deep division. Yeah. Well, you, you discuss in, in your article, I think in both pieces, uh, Max Shaler's uh, uh, insight mm -hmm. into this phenomenon, that if you can't reach the goal, you find yourself resenting it. Uh, and and that, uh, that is corrosive, yeah. and that makes it all the more difficult to overcome these weaknesses. More impediments. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Well, I think resentment is one of the secrets of our modern society, um, of a society in which um, uh, people have uh, largely despaired, many people have despaired, overreaching um, a goal of happiness, of deep fulfillment, that there might even be something like that. Yeah. And so they develop a resentment against those who pursue something like that, who, who are on a journey. Um, they, they fall into scoffing, they uh, hold a deep skepticism, um, or even cynicism. Cynicism is, a, of course, a form of self-protection yeah. from Why? harm. Yeah. And so after having uh, felt maybe a, a disappointed hope, um, having failed in one or the other respect, not having found forgiveness, not having been able to forgive oneself and acknowledge it, um, people become cynical. Yeah. Um, it is, it is, uh, it's just an empty show anyways. Yeah. No one there's, can, not, there's no end to this. Right. No one can, you know, I'm not going to be a dupe anymore to anything. Yeah. I, I, no one can catch me. Uh, like those dwarfs in the, in the Narnia Chronicles right. in the last in the last battle, That's forming right. an inner circle. Right. No one can, uh, 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 so to speak, pull them over, uh, pull one over them anymore. No, um, and that resentment uh, I think is is widespread in our society. Uh, you find it often in academic institutions. Right. Uh, right. 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 Especially in academic institutions in secular universities. Um, and among people who would regard themselves as part of a sophisticated intelligentsia. Um, it's it's, uh, it's deep-seated. And resentments come, the, the resistance comes from that root often. Um, people just resent that others search for something, for something greater. Mm. And this might even find it and, and might reflect that in their lives. People might either be envious of it and say, I, I'm really envious of it, or if they think this is uh, a show anyways, then they resent it and say, oh, let's just leave me alone. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the dark side of Achadia. It's not just despairing personally, it's resenting socially. And we yeah. see it institutionalized around us. You use that key word envy, you know, because I think people so often confuse envy with jealousy, 
we have to see that jealousy can be good or evil, you know, when you want something. But envy resents what another person yeah. has. Yes. And this idea of resentiment, this, this idea that you despair but you also are cynical and resistant towards other people, it's pervasive, but it goes as one priest friend of mine says, I've never heard envy confessed before. Yes. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents as we look at pornography and virtue in our next segment. From 2011 to 2012, I had the awesome opportunity of speaking to teens about chastity in public schools. And anytime I would go into the public schools, I would always ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they would always say, you know, I want to be a doctor or a nurse. And essentially, what I found out is that they were all searching for love. Any career that they wanted to do, it always went back to them loving other people and receiving that love from other people. And I think this is what we see with pornography. People essentially get into pornography because they're looking for love, but then they realize that all that pornography offers is just a counterfeit of love. It offers lust. It doesn't offer that true love that we're all deeply searching for. I am a communication arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a frequent confession and things like that, because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know, can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the very heart of our campus here in Steubenville, Ohio. Um, our students are operating the cameras and equipment. We're uh, taping this program right here in our communication arts studio. Our panelists, our uh, faculty here at Franciscan University. Um, Reinhardt, we've been talking about pornography and we've talked about some of its problems, its, its foundations, some of its roots, the vices at work. Uh, let's talk about the virtues uh, now a little bit. Um, unpack what temperance is and how that can help us uh, in this, this struggle, if you will, with pornography. Uh, Joseph Pieber uh, once called uh, temperance uh, selfless self-preservation. Selfless self-preservation. Because temperance, of course, uh, as a word, is for us a, a word we associate with a Victorian age. That's right. I'm, I'm, the I'm temperance movement. Uh, temperance <laughs> movement, or a temperate person is a is a is a, a person of a, a person we can might even think of as lukewarm, right? Yeah. Uh, lacking um, passion. Yes. Lacking, lacking passion. passion uh, uh, just you know, maybe someone they want to hang out with. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And that's a complete misunderstanding according to Pieber and according to the Christian tradition. Temperantia means uh, a selfless self-preservation that we we own ourselves um, as persons um, and um, own in the sense of. Um, um, of be authentically ourselves and have an interior rule of ourselves um, regarding also the deepest uh, desires and passions in us. Hmm. And those are, as, as, since we are embodied beings, those are desires um, for food and drink and, uh, and those are sexual desires for embodied beings. And, and uh, chastity is uh, that part of temperance that pertains to sexual desire and to the whole sexual order. Okay. So the selfless self-preservation um, of the human being, of the person in the sexual order, that is chastity. Okay. Um, 
So temperance is, is really overarching and helps right. facilitate the virtue of chastity. Well, it's right. one of the four, four cardinal virtues. Right. And it basically means self-respect. I mean, prudence, the queen of the virtues, is respect for being, truth. Uh, justice is when you respect the other. Temperance, you respect yourself in matters that pertain to pleasure. Fortitude, uh, when it happens to be harm, danger, fear, and you've got to master that situation. You need to be brave. Yeah, you, you, you'd mentioned in, in your articles about the, uh, the interplay between temperance and prudence, um, and, and the, um, we all know that the, the necessary life of a Christian involves all of the virtues, but, That's uh, right. but, but what the interaction between temperance and prudence, I thought was a, a great way to, to uh, discuss going deeper into the life of virtue. While we forget about that, um, uh, of course, uh, uh, prudence uh, to make the, the, the right decisions in particular situations according to right reason, um, and to discover the truth in the particular situation and follow it, um, we need prudence in the right application of chastity. Yes. We need to be able to make judgments of estimation where we are, uh, what's going on around us, in what inner state we are. And, uh, and that, so, so you cannot be a chaste person without being a prudent person. Right. Yeah. Right. But what is often forgotten is the relationship in the other direction, yes. namely that chastity, being a, a, a chaste person, helps us in being a prudent person in all other contexts. Because if we are not chased, um, we get bucked by all kinds of uh, desires at the wrong time, yeah. in the wrong way, and uh, we get distracted. We have to uh, uh, we have to do all kinds of things to hold us under control. Or we, uh, in other words, we are not balanced. We are not rightly centered, and then we can actually not be prudent in the way we should be. Right. Right. I don't need to go on the history and the recent history, uh, political history of the United States uh, in order to maybe point to examples where, where the virtue of chastity might have helped, uh, the virtue, uh, exercising the virtue of prudence. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is, uh, this is a pervasive reality pertaining all of our lives, that, right. that the chaste person is the prudent person and the chaste person is the truly free person. Right, right. You know, paper points out that prudence depends upon a memoria, a memory that is true to being, one that sort of recollects everything mm -hmm. that is relevant to who I am and what my life situation is. And I, I can't help but notice the kind of amnesia that has settled in, where there's a forgetfulness that results from distractions all around, that we forget the eternal things, but we even forget the the, the things of, of, of moderate importance. Mm. We're just so caught up in the immediacy of the moment, you know, with the internet, but with traffic, and with busyness and this sort of thing. You know, it gets back to that notion of recollection, that we need to be recollected. We need to kind of gather in all of the things and figure out, okay, what matters the most and what doesn't matter very much at all. You know, it's the tyranny of the urgent that imposes itself and keeps us from the things that really matter. Yeah. In, in, in a Catholic uh, economy, it, it seems to me that the distinctive uh, uh, organ or faculty is sight, to be able to see things as they are. And, and not to be chaste is to be willfully blind right. in matters of the passion, of matters of eros, of, of love, the appetite for, for pleasure. 
And, and if, if in the order of nature, pornography is a disorder, it also vitiates uh, one's capacity in the order of supernature. If you can't see reality straight on, how can you see God? That's it right. sort of destroys the template for God. And, and that's, that's the great tragedy of it. You, you could be depriving yourself of friendship forever in the company of God. Right. right. And I think that's the, the thing that we do too often in our culture today is we compartmentalize things and we think that, oh, well, I'm just falling in this area. It'll have no effect on the rest of my life of virtue. But the reality is it's, it's, it's undermining it, it's, it's, it's impaling it, it's, it's uh, hacking off the leg, if you will, uh, of being able to act uh, wisely, prudently uh, in our lives. I mean, that's a huge huge impediment uh, to the friendship with God. It, it's a ploy, I think, of the devil to get us to say, well, look, at least I'm a loving person. You know, mm -hmm. I'm generous, I'm charitable. But I, I do have this hang-up. You know, I happen to uh, like pornography. That's my, 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 my uh, drug of choice. Uh, uh, permit me this smut. Because in other areas, I'm really responsible. I mean, I, I, I recycle, uh, I vote <laughs> the Democratic <clears throat> Party. I'm just a good guy and I pay my taxes on time. But I have this area in my life that's, that's bleak and dark. But the charity somehow you know, overarches everything. That, that's being blind. I mean, that, that has to be, you have to disabuse right. that person of that. It's a delusion that he has to be rescued from. Yeah. Maybe all have those areas, and that's part of the Christian life, that they yeah. become, that they become uh, integrated in the life of charity. Yeah. I could, I could be saying the same uh, yeah. and, and, and saying, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy, I pay my taxes, I vote for the Republican Party, <laughs> but I hold a deep inner hatred um, yeah. and, and nurture that privately uh, for certain human beings. That's, right. That's just my drug of choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I hate them. I do it very privately. Um, That's right. It doesn't uh, harm anyone. It doesn't harm anyone. I do it in my basement. I might even put up pictures and shoot at them with my gun, and it gives me a good <laughs> feeling. Right. Um, yeah. You know, in a very similar way, that person needs the same healing yeah. sure. and, uh, uh, and spiritual attention, um, because there's another lie involved. We cannot be envious or hateful of others right. without harming ourselves right. Yes. Right. and yes. taking the dignity away from them. Yeah. There's an analogy in that sense between pornography and and behaviors, uh, spiritual, yeah. let's say, misbehaviors of that kind. Both would be quasi-private, yeah. but really yeah. aren't. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 just to go into something you just mentioned, the, the spiritual healing or the kind of going to it from a spiritual aspect, you know, what role, as you've pointed out, uh, does prayer uh, pray, uh, play in this uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, dealing with pornography and the uh, virtue? It's a very simple answer. Of course, it plays the most central role because prayer should play and does play the most central role in the Christian life, period. Yes. Yes. Prayer connects us with God. Um, prayer pulls us out of ourselves in the direction to God, brings us into communion with God spiritually, and opens us for the help from God. It makes us, it makes us open. We call God into the presence of our own lives. Yeah. And, and a person who, who prays and begins to pray and pray well is already being pulled out of the vice of Achadia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, that the, the person who is deep in Achadia actually cannot pray or doesn't want to pray anymore. Yeah. And so, and so, being open for prayer and being able to pray again is already 
a step out. It's already a step out of the You're choosing, I do want to grow spiritually. Yeah, and that might, of course, be we are touched by God already when we do that. Uh, we, we can never turn ourselves away from those things. God is always calling us, and God is pulling us in that moment already out of ourselves. And I just think of it, you know, pornography for so many is an addiction. And I think about the 12-step programs, you know, always recognize that there's a higher power, recognizing yeah. that sometimes you are, some you feel, if not in reality, are sometimes powerless against it, but with God, uh, with his spiritual assistance, yeah. with prayer, right. uh, we can really begin to... Uh, with God and, and with Mother of God. Uh, you know, I would really want to emphasize right. not just prayer, but the rosary in particular. I can recall way back when I was still a Protestant, not sure if I'd ever become a Catholic, but so many things had turned up Catholic in my study of Scripture and theology. But the one thing that hadn't was the Blessed Virgin. Mary and doctrine and devotion <laughs> still seemed distant. Mm -hmm. And, but that point, you know, it was like nine out of 10. They might be right on this, even if I can't see it. So somebody, I don't know who, sent me a rosary and I had it. And I finally just kind of gave in. I prayed it, I apologize if this offends you, I apologize in advance. But if she is half of what they say, you know, and if she's the mother most pure. And back in the early 80s, I remember struggling with pornography when I'd walk in to use bookstores, because I've just always loved books. But if you pass by things, you know, just the temptation to stop and right. look, you know, right. seemed irresistible yes. since adolescence. But when I began to pray the rosary, I felt a liberation that has not left me. I mean, I still struggle, I'm still weak, but I've heard from so many other men too, that the life of prayer with discipline, but especially the rosary, and not just saying it, but praying it, struggling to pray it, yes. but at the same time receiving the graces of a virgin most pure who happens to be your mother and the mother of God. Yeah. You know, I think that's the one thing that will keep Catholics and Christians from despairing, is to discover that no matter how dark and how deep this evil gets, the light of Christ and the mother of Christ are here to us closer than we are to ourselves most often. But it, it's yeah. important, I think, in the course of this discipline of prayer to work through uh, the dryness. Uh, the oh. noontime demon is Achadia, and it does assault the monk in his cloister, but also the layman uh, in his shop or in his uh, library. And the devout Catholic, too. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're all, we're all right. vulnerable, right. I, I think. Right. But, but you've got to work through that uh, despite the dryness. What you're saying is infinitely pleasing to God, and He's present to you in, in those moments. And in, in, in addition to prayer, can we do this on our own? I mean, some maybe can, but uh, are, we, are we meant to overcome these uh, addictions, these vices uh, on our own? A person who has a, a sense that, that, that he or she is addicted in a, in a deep way uh, will want to look for, for therapy. That is always, that is always a, 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 an important thing to, to realize when one, enters, when one has entered the space of what one should really call an addiction um, mm. and something the equivalence to the Alcoholics Anonymous in that area and other programs are helpful. Um, but it's always good to receive the prayers of others. Yes. We, we should pray on our own and we, we, we ask, but we pray for others and we should receive the prayers of others. And, yes. uh, and there's the, there's a wonderful Dominican uh, confraternity, the Angelic Warfare Confraternity, yes. um, that uh, is a community uh, that focuses on the mutual strengthening in chastity. And uh, the core prayers in the middle part are uh, Hail Marys, 15 Hail Marys, with particular intentions, 
and framed by a prayer to our Lord uh, Jesus at the beginning and the prayer to the patron saint of the confraternity, yeah. Thomas Aquinas right. at the end. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that is done daily by all the members of the Angelic Warfare Confraternity. They also have some sacramentals uh, with it. But the point is uh, one knows that every day others pray for one specifically. Uh, we are b uh, bound to each other, to this commitment of prayer for each other. Yeah. Um, it's not a therapy program. Right. It is a spiritual confraternity. That's and so it doesn't, it doesn't work like therapy programs or medications work. It is, a, it is mediated by the faith of all the participants. Yeah. Um, and there's a deep commitment to uh, the Mother of God, of course, in those, in those prayers. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, uh, it, you excellent. Know, oh, we're out of time. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with us for the final segment. The internet has made pornography highly accessible. Eight to 11 year old children are stumbling upon pornography online and their experience is one of shame and they don't want to tell their parents, but at the same time they're intrigued and they want to look again. And this can start an addictive cycle that really began through no fault of their own. Parents can't just exercise vigilance, they have to teach their children to protect themselves from the assault of pornography. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about uh, the scourge of pornography. Uh, it's our final segment. Regis, could you lead us off? Yeah, you know, a, a couple of points. Uh, the point that I was about to make <laughs> was interrupted by the clock. Well, you know, the tyranny of time, I think, oppresses us. I, I, I wanted to remark on what, what strikes me as a happy, even blessed irony, that we call upon the angels. We invoke the angels for protection in the body. I mean, angels don't have bodies. Thomas calls them separated substances. Yet they're infinitely sympathetic, and, and they do what they can. And it's also helpful, I think, to enlist saints who really were in the body, like Thomas More, I mean, Dr. Johnson called him a man for all seasons, and I think that illustrates the point that virtue is of a piece. Mm. You can't just be a little bit uh, uh, unchaste, but uh, in a large measure, wonderfully charitable. I mean, the two are of a piece. You've got to harmonize the whole spiritual life. And, and I think, uh, thanks to you, you, you've made it so wonderfully uh, inviting uh, and enriching, uh, your analyses. Of, of this vice, but more importantly, the solution to it. The trouble is, nobody's reading you. I mean, they're <laughs> reading this crazy guy called Dan Savage. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a syndicated columnist, and he's got global syndication, and he has a column called Savage Love. He gives advice to people. And typical of the advice he gives is uh, this particular sunburst he sent out to a poor woman who wrote to him and said, you know, I'm heartbroken. My boyfriend is an habitual consumer of porn. And I have a problem with that because he keeps meeting more attractive women. You know, they're sort of digitally made perfect uh, uh, on, on the computer screen. And I'm afraid he might dump me because I'm not nearly as lovely as these cyberspace creatures. And he wrote back and he told her, you need to get over it. 
all men look at porn, and it's perfectly healthy, and if you can't deal with it, maybe you should find yourself a woman, or a dog, or a blind man. Now, this kind of wow. advice, not only is it poisonous, but it's popular. We have our work cut out for us. I mean, people watching EWTN, I don't think are peddling porn, and those who peddle porn are not watching EWTN. So how do we reach these people? I, I think only the grace of God uh, can remedy this mess, mm. and, and let's have more of it. Thank you, Regis. Scott. True, <laughs> but <laughs> they are reading you. <laughs> I'm reading you, and I'm grateful for what you're writing. I've shared it with friends of mine. I shared it with our mutual friend, Father Barron. Uh, where I, I teach on Mondays at the seminary in Chicago, and I've shared it with the seminarians, and you'll be sharing it with them too, I know, in the future. And it gives great hope. It gives a sense that joy is possible, not only to recover, but to maintain and to grow in. And that, to me, is the key. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the mercy of God is this medicine that reaches us through the Blessed Virgin Mary, through frequent confession, through the Holy Eucharist, through brotherhood, you know, through our guardian angels and this angelic warfare confraternity and so many other means. You know, the only way to dispel the darkness is to flip on the switch, you know, to turn on the light. Jesus is no less the light of the world now in the 21st century than he was in the first, you know. And yet you hear in John's gospel, which I'm teaching this semester, you know, for God so loved the world. And that notion of agape, agapon, is this unconditional love. And yet two or three verses later, men love darkness. And it's the same word, this, this binding love. And so the light that will dispel the darkness is what gives us bright hope. And I, I'm convinced that what you're saying is putting us back in touch, not only with the classical tradition of Catholic moral theology and spiritual wisdom, but also in, in, in touch with Jesus himself. And uh, that relationship that is fostered, mm. that communion that can deepen. Uh, and I also want to repeat what you said, and that is the struggle to pray that we have sometimes that can last for days, weeks, or even months. To keep struggling, you put it, Regis, is infinitely pleasing to God. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to be reminded of also, that if we do go through that dry period, God is close to us there in a special way. Yeah. And so don't give up, don't despair, right. don't resent, don't resist, but really give yourselves over to our Lord. And I thank you for that kind of encouragement. It's not just academic, it's pastoral, it's personal. Mm. Thank you, Scott. Reinhardt? Riches, your, your example was, uh, was a good key for what I wanted to say. Um, that woman who wrote for advice yeah. was yeah. onto something. Yes. She had a sense still about her dignity. Yeah. Um, she has a, 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 not only an affection for her boyfriend, but it seems a commitment. Um, and uh, she was rightly worried about something, namely um, about an interior estrangement of him and eventually maybe seeing her like a thing too. Yeah. Just not such a good thing maybe anymore. Right. And her worries were, of course, completely justified. Um, what that story tells us, and also what that false advice given uh, tells us, um, is that uh, we live in a deeply sad society, a profoundly sad society, and that uh, pornography grows from that sadness. It is a, uh, it is a, it's a lie, because people hope to find 
something there, some, a moment of joy, some kind of satisfaction, but it only in the end deepens their sadness. Uh, and uh, it, it disabuses them from true friendship, and especially from friendship with God. And so switching the light on, finding a way to, to help people um, to, to be pulled out of that sadness, um, into true joy, into friendship with God, into a genuine search for happiness, and not for simulations of happiness, for, for, false, uh, for false promises that only lead one deeper into, into the mire of, of, of some deep estrangement um, that is then covered over by excuses or by, by banalities of uh, uh, that, that, that all uh, remains uh, a dead end. Um, that leads people uh, deeper into, into uh, Achedia. Mm. And so the, uh, the, the, the solution is a profound uh, a turning, turning over, acknowledging oneself, finding a way to acknowledge oneself as a human person and allowing others to challenge one, especially those who are close to us and they are right, to challenge us um, where we are inauthentic, where we fall short of acknowledging our own dignity as persons and the dignity of others and the dignity of those we only uh, imagine or pretend to be images. But there are no images behind which there's not a person in each case. So in the end we have to look at, at, at people like Fra Angelico looked at people and when we know how to paint them like Fra Angelico painted them, then we know how to to see persons who have yeah, a soul, yeah. who have a soul, who are eternal souls and have an eternal destiny. Mm, mm. Thank you, Reinhardt. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you for your work on this. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's program, uh, just for calling or at faithandreason.com, you can download the article from uh, First Things Pornography in Achadia uh, that Dr. Kuder had, had written here. Um, this entire program comes from Franciscan University. Uh, the mission of the university is to, to form those who are going to go out and transform the world. I want to invite you to be a part of that mission uh, by taking a class here on our campus in Steubenville or online. Join us at one of our conferences or pilgrimages around the world or visiting us at faithandreason.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381, or call 740 283-6357.